Right now at Gap Factory and Banana Republic Factory, save 50 to 70% off everything in stores and online. That's right, 50 to 70% off Very good, Tanya. I would do so for sure. So, first of all, 
what had you awaken to the holistic perspective, Tanya? And there, here you are growing up with a love of animals, wanting to work with them, and you're facing the veterinary medicine schooling, which is traditional and conventional in nature. What is it that first initially inspired you to branch out in another direction as well? Well, I was, uh, you know, as, as many veterinarians are, I was very enamored by the effect that conventional medicine can have. Uh, when you go through the training and you are trained by incredibly um, successful conventional veterinarians, especially in surgery, um, is very captivating. Um, but I found that once I got into uh, practice, the day-to-day illnesses and problems of my patients, um, it did not take me long to become very frustrated. It was the uh, every file uh, was uh, very similar on every case. But what's happening is that I was seeing the animals over and over again with either the same illnesses or some other illness, um, and it was more antibiotics, more steroids, the regular vaccinations. The animals were not healing and what I considered to be the true sense of becoming happier and healthier animals. Mm-hmm. It was almost like chasing a pinball around. If it wasn't the, the, the bladder infection and the bloody urine, then there was not a good appetite or there was some other issue that was, uh, I was pinballing around and not really getting yeah. these animals to heal in a complete sense. So that's yeah. when I began to seek out uh, with an open mind that there had to be a better way out there. Um, I had already done some one-day course in veterinary homeopathy while I was still in vet school. And so once I was out in the workforce, I began to look for uh, full accredited training in other types of holistic medicine, that there had to be another way. And so I entered these trainings, usually a little skeptically, but um, once I began to see the effects on my patients, um, it was like a whole world, whole new world. Uh, truly, uh, animals and their owners were becoming much more happy and much more balanced, and there's no better feeling when your oath is to, above all, do no harm. Um, I was no longer dealing with the side effects of the conventional drugs and the disruption that, uh, in most cases, it was causing, and eventually would stop working. Uh, yes, exactly. So interesting. So you made the move, and you still rely, as I understand, on conventional medicine when you deem that it is the best choice, at least temporarily, but your focus is really on um supporting the immune system, supporting health, supporting happiness and well-being in in the animals and the uh, animal's family. Absolutely. Uh, above all, um, you look at all of your options. And uh, so often um, how I will begin my treatment approach um, has a lot to do with what's going on with the owner. If they are very new to alternative medicine, if they're somewhat frightened, if they're unsure, then you know we will we will begin an approach that is above all good for the good for the animal, but it also has to be somewhat resonating with the owner. If I begin a treatment plan that the owners are very scared or unsure about, their anxiety is definitely going to be felt by their family member, the animal. 
so it uh it's it's always a very um unique situation with each family each animal um so i i have the options that i allow them to choose from um however uh, of course my my primary approach will be to above all do no harm and um the unfortunate situation is most of my patients come to me with so much conventional drug therapies that either no longer work or have caused so many side effects uh, that uh, we are dealing with a very weakened animal. So um, it's, a, it's, it's, again, it's, a, it's sort of designer, I call it designer medicine, because every patient, every household is going to be treated in a very unique way, which let's mm-hmm. face it, uh, when I did work for conventional practices, it was in and out, see your patient in five minutes, no longer than 10 minutes, and uh, the only real difference often was the, the, the different antibiotic uh, or the different drug for seizures. It was not really looking at the healing, why are these problems happening, but let's just suppress it, make it go away so we don't have to deal with it. But why is the body creating these problems in the first place? How can we rebalance or retune the system? So. It's a yeah. it's a very different perspective from conventional medicine, and oftentimes really much of my work is to educate the owners on what this difference yes, is. Yes, exactly. I like to tell people because you know I work in mind body medicine, basically uh, psychotherapy, holistic psychotherapy, which is in a sense saying systems therapy, uh, as well as the use of Chinese energetics and biofeedback. It's essentially working with energy and stress potentials. And people don't want to really kind of uh, digest, no pun intended, that uh, what is going on in the family is having a profound effect on the animal. And what's going on in the family can be physical, and oftentimes you can count on it being to some extent emotional, as in some kind of undigested emotional stress or undigested, I'm using, continuing the metaphor, undigested emotional conflict that has been unresolved. And energy being what it is, systems being what they are, the animal who tends to be very sensitive and doesn't have the kind of armoring that we humans ultimately kind of conceive and engage uh, picks up being the sensitive instrument in the family. A lot of those vibes, if you will, that are harmful and can lead to illness. Could you comment on those ideas? I absolutely wholeheartedly concur with what you're saying because my practice, uh, again, even though I do do uh, phone consults, Skype, FaceTime, um, I always prefer, and much of my practice is house call practice, and that's by choice. Um, a small animal, birds, dog, cat, of course, farm animals and large animals, uh, I really like being in their environment because I truly can pick up on issues um, that are going on in the household that are what we call, in, especially in homeopathic medicine, obstacles to cure. And you're so true. Our animals are very, you know, they're, they are not burdened by uh, ego like we carry around. We can put up these incredible barriers, as you call armor. Our animals don't lie. They're very, very mm-hmm. honest in what they show us. 
And uh, I can tell you one um, one case of Molly. Molly the dog with uh, chronic diarrhea. Molly was a, a really amazing black lab cross, very energetic, very playful. But um, um, her owner, the, the, the wife, called me that there was just this chronic diarrhea. It would get better for periods of time and then get worse. What I found out when I got to the first house call was that her husband, Mark, would be out of town working for periods of time. And there seemed to be this correlation that when the couple were together, the issues would escalate. But when the couples were separated uh, for their work schedules, Molly seemed to kind of regain a more of a normal digestive system. So it's a great story. In my first house call, Mark is home at this time. So uh, both the wife and Mark are there, and I asked this basic question with Molly sitting at my side. I'm sort of massaging her, doing a little bit of chiropractic on her while we chat with the owners. And I ask about, um, describe the diarrhea to me. What is it like? When does it happen? You know, what's the consistency? You know, all of those nitty-gritty details. And we begin, uh, Molly and I begin to watch this tennis match of an argument. We go our left side, we look at Mark, right side, AJ, back and forth. They begin an argument about what's going on with the diarrhea. Totally conflicting descriptions. And I can feel this dog pushing against my leg and somewhat sinking down. And I could tell right away that unless issues within the household were resolved, Molly's diarrhea would probably stay unresolved, uncured. And we did begin a number of treatments on her, up and down improvements and sliding back. And um, I, saw, I didn't hear from the owner for a while, and then I had uh, uh, met her on the street, and she had told me that she and Mark had divorced and that Molly went with Mark to New York. And as far as she knew, there were no other problems with Molly's health. So, I mean, it's, a, it's a, a small experience, but if they had brought the dog into a conventional clinic, five minutes, you're in and out, she would have gotten an antibiotic. No one would have known what was going on with the conflict yes. within the household. So yes, uh, I see this exactly. over and over and over again. And uh, as a veterinarian, you know, it's, it's a little bit... It's a little bit, um, it used to be daunting to me to even bring up these issues to the owners. But now with, uh, with you know, going through some of my own counseling and talking to friends who are therapists and counselors, I begin to very gently introduce the idea of balance within the household, um, that all, it's all energy, whether it's human or animal, um, and uh, many of my clients become open to it. There will be crying. There will be discussions about job problems or you know, anniversaries of deaths in the family, uh, and it all plays such a huge part. And very often, just by acknowledging these issues and not even instituting any kind of solid therapy as a medicine, um, holistic or otherwise, we begin to see improvement just by the intention of looking at the emotional or psychological or you know, even spiritual issues going on in the household. So it's a whole yeah. different kind of veterinary care, that's for sure. It's for sure. And, you know, you're bringing, you're bringing a question up in my mind about the assumptions that we make about animals and about the entire natural kingdom, in fact, including trees and plants and bushes and flowers and that is that they do not have 
a real intelligence as we do, that we have a superior intelligence. They have a much inferior intelligence. So the idea that they would be able to perceive problems of ours and that that would affect their emotional and physical bodies is not an idea that is in circulation in our society. Yet, we have cartoons where animals are super smart. We have some representations of the intelligence of animals, but it's never on par with humans. So we have a, you could say, a certain inherent prejudice against all other aspects of nature outside of us. In fact, we think that we are so superior, we're not even part of nature. You know, we stand above and beyond. You know, I'm only bringing this up, Tanya, because I'm listening to you speak. It's kind of uh, um, evoking some of the assumptions that I see that we make as a society. And if those assumptions weren't there, you would really have no issue whatsoever in speaking to the owners of animals and their owner, the pet families, about the balance of energy in a family. They'd say, but of course, it only stands to reason, <laughs> right? It's so true. And um, I tell you that um, more and more, especially in my classes that I have, um, for clients or for people who are interested in these types of topics, the animal-human-animal bond or our bond with nature, um, that is so, so, uh, so, so important um, in, in looking at health and well-being, whether it's maintaining health or healing severe health problems, everything, uh, everything from sprains, aches and sprains, arthritis to cancer. So much of it is uh, looking at our our connection to nature. And I know this may seem like a topic that is far off uh, animal care, but I, um, I've recently been reading some of the writings of Carl Jung, and I'm sure many of your listeners oh, yeah. are saying, what is this woman talking about Carl Jung and nature? I thought she was a vet. But uh, truly, <laughs> Carl Jung um, had identified um, in his history, and I'm sure you could speak to this more than I could, in his uh, experience with patients that the disconnect with nature that is so different from the indigenous peoples who were connected to their, the wolves that came into their camp or to the uh, spirit of the stars and the, and the plants and their energy that they provided to humans. Um, we are sorely, um, we are ill from our disconnect from nature. And I find that over the years, more and more people are, I think, out of desperation are looking to find this reconnect. And I am so happy that very often it is through their animals and their sick animals that these people, the owners, are, uh, are finding a reconnection, which, uh, I mean, it just, uh, you, know, you know, my cup runneth over when I, uh, when I can bring that kind mm -hmm. of uh, realization to people. But there's a, it's a huge conventional tide that it's all science and only scientific reason matters and uh, I think our society is beginning to realize that that's a huge puzzle piece missing to health and healing is the 
is that part, I don't know what you'd want to call it, spirit, the indigenous peoples in shamanic uh, healing would call it spirit, spirit of nature. Uh, Chinese medicine will call it qi. Homeopathy calls it vital force or chiropractic will call it innate. Um, You know, even Reiki, which is so mainstreamed in many health uh, circles, it's the universal life force energy. We're missing that piece, I think, to really optimize healing. And, um, you know, I, it is part of every discussion that I have with owners and their critters, for sure. Yes, right. Well, no, these points are well, very well made. Uh, you know, it used to be indigenous in Western thinking, the idea, yeah. primarily European, of Elan Vital which is this idea, of course, of it's uh, the Western European version of life force or chi. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the uh, medical profession basically weaned that out of our vocabulary because they said, well, we couldn't see it. Well, I should ask that same doctor or medical profession in France or Germany or America, do you see the air? Do you right. see the oxygen? Are you yet still breathing the oxygen and completely dependent upon it? You know. Anyway, it defies logic. So we won't go too far in that direction because it has inherent weaknesses and flaws to it that people like we us see, of course, and have been speaking about for for ages. But I would like to circle back. I appreciate all that you're saying so much here, Tanya, to a comment you made about the use of homeopathy. Could you tell us a little bit about homeopathy itself and then about shamanic healing? And I've never heard the phrase shamanic Reiki. I'm very familiar and I've been trained in Reiki and I'm very familiar with shamanic healing, but I've never seen those two put together the way you've put it on your website. So if you would start with homeopathy and then work your way across. Well, excellent. Now, my one of my uh, main passions in uh, holistic healing, and listen, I, I love all the modalities that I have learned and become comfortable using, but my closest to my heart is truly classical homeopathy. And, um, you know, I don't know how much time we have. I'll try to condense it, you know. What I've taken sure. dec- uh, a decade and a half to learn, I'll try to condense it into a few uh, a few lines. <laughs> Um, But homeopathy has been around for hundreds of years, 200 years at least, at least as long as the conventional allopathic type of medicine has been around. And um, homeopathy literally means to treat with a similar disease. Like cures like is very often the phrase that is thrown around. Well, you know, what does that exactly mean? Um, Well, I think the best way to describe it is to compare it homeopathy to allopathy, which is the conventional approach to, to um, treating illness. For instance, let's say the example, um, if you have um, a patient with diarrhea, in conventional medicine, you would give them a drug to suppress the gut movement or the gut motility. So it is actually bringing in a drug to control or suppress what the body is doing unnaturally, right? Because it's not natural to, to have a, a move everything out of your digestive system quickly. 
Homeopathy, however, would try to use a product um, not necessarily to suppress the mobility of the gut, but look at why is there this tendency to inappropriately digest food and how can we retune or bring that disbalance into more of a balance, more into a normal reaction. In homeopathy, certainly the immediate cause, such as a, a poisoning or a bacterial infection, uh, is important. But more importantly is the patient's response, their reaction, their defense um, to, the, to the problem. And the whole point of homeopathy is to strengthen the, the patient's um, if you would like to use conventional terms, strengthen their immune system, strengthen their vital force so that their entire system can begin to heal that particular problem with too fast of a gut motility. We want it to heal so it normalizes. We don't want to use a drug to hide and suppress the symptom. Because unfortunately, which I have seen over and over again, is once that suppressive drug is out of the system, the problem either comes back weeks or months later, or a similar problem comes up in another part of the body. So it really is all about treating the patient, not the symptom. And that's probably another critical point about homeopathy is to retune the entire body and, and the, the spirit of the body, the vital force of the body, not just su suppress symptoms, right? It's not so about the case, suppressing Tanya. the symptoms. It's about bringing the body into balance again. So that's the quick and dirty version of explaining homeopathy. Sure. There's no, a longer... I appreciate that. That's okay. A skill of a real seasoned practitioner is one who can take something complex and reduce it into its simplest, elements so you did a brilliant job um i'd like to ask you uh in a case that you presented of diarrhea in an animal what you first you would want to be hunting down the cause of it which might be more physical or more emotional in nature and how would you determine what similar to give to that patient you, know, you mean in terms of which homeopathic dose. medication to yes. choose? Is that right? Yes. Is that what you're asking? Yes. And what was the well, logic um, behind Well, in the homeopathy, choice? there are hundreds, if not thousands, of homeopathic remedies that have been um, proven, that have been tested yes. over the hundreds yes. of years. And many, and all of these homeopathic medications have uh, volumes written on them. They all have. Uh, uh, personalities, so to speak. They all have a symptom picture to them. And the goal of homeopathy is to choose the best picture, and I don't mean just diarrhea equals this homeopathic, but is it's the nature of the diarrhea. Is it bloody? Does it have mucus in it? Is the animal restless? Does the animal... Uh, um, only have this diarrhea at certain times of the day. Is the animal very anxious or is she calm? Does she seek cool surfaces when she isn't feeling well? Or does she want to be warm in front of the fire or lay in the sun? So it's all about looking at the entire animal and then matching it 
matching that symptom, all the symptoms to a particular homeopathic that, that, that fits that picture. And in so many cases, it's amazing how uh, beautifully these remedies can work when you match the entire picture of the remedy to that of the animal. And the idea of like curing like, um, you know, if you were to give, let's say, a homeopathic such as uh, um, calendula, uh, it's, it's a homeopathic used for deep wounds and injuries and cuts, um, if you were to uh, give that particular homeopathic to an ill, a healthy animal and were to give it over and over and over again in a healthy animal, you would create these symptoms in the healthy animal. But given once or twice in a sick animal with similar symptoms, you begin to see rapid and very effective healing. So, again, it's very inverse to the thinking of conventional medicine. And I uh, remember going through my training with my veterinary colleagues, and it was a year-long training to go get the basic um, um, certification. And many veterinarians, they, they just never came back. You know, it, it does require stretching your thinking for sure. Mm. So interesting. You are listening to A Better World with Mitchell J. Rabin. We are on every Wednesday at 6 p.m., although we are able to be heard on archive at abetterworld.tv any time of the day or night, as suits you. And please go to our website and sign up for our free newsletter if you haven't gotten it already. It announces our weekly radio shows, sometimes more than once a week, actually, and our weekly television show here in the Big Apple in New York City in Manhattan. Every Monday at 7 p.m. we are on, and we cover the same kinds of subjects we do on radio, speaking with the sung and the unsung heroes of society to do what we can to offer an education and inspiration around the subjects we speak of, which are largely around health and healing and wellness, including planetary wellness, which involves such illnesses as climate change that uh, we find as actually anthropogenic, such a beautiful world. We did it, folks. We are involved riding along the cycles of the natural world, no question about that. But we have pushed the river, so to speak. And here at A Better World, we do what we can to reset and rebalance and reharmonize. And we're doing that today with Tonya Holanko, who is a holistic veterinary doctor who's been working with animals of all shapes and sizes and sorts and their families for decades. So what a pleasure to have you on today, Tanya. It's really a very heartening dialogue today. I so appreciate it. Um, if Thank you, you would, Mitchell. I'm, I'm enjoying myself as well. I'm so glad. You know, uh, homeopathy is such a rich, uh, rich domain, and uh, interestingly, it's been proven by one of the leading medical journals in the world, The Lancet, going back, oh, my God, at this point, probably 20 or 25 years, that absolutely beyond a shadow of a doubt, 
proved the efficacy of of homeopathy. I think it was actually even in a double-blind study, and uh, there was no more refuting it as much as so many allopathic physicians would like to. So I love seeing Yes, it's, uh, it is interesting. I mean, and the studies continue in uh, so many medical schools and uh, facilities all around the world, research facilities. However, um, there are still very staunch opponents to homeopathy. I mean, uh, rapidly uh, opposed to it. And there is a, there is a constant resurgence in the AMA or the AVMA and the journals of people who are so opposed to it that they do not even want to give um, accredited training for people who are spending, you know, thousands of dollars and hundreds of hours in the training of homeopathy to take to their yeah. patients. It is yeah, still well, um, a thin, uh, somewhat a of an uphill veil. battle, but there really is no going back now. Too many people are finding how efficacious right. these holistic therapies are. So That's right. There's no going back. And, and the reason <laughs> for all of the controversy is very transparent. There's no it money is. in it for the big boys. It's very simple. It's not complicated. It cannot be disproven. It hasn't been disproven scientifically. It's been verified, as you say, and yes. that as we say, is it. <laughs> so it's only a matter of time before it continues to wind out and get more and more infiltrated in people's lives, both the, the world of animals and the world of humans. And um, So if you would, take a few minutes, Tanya, and tell me, what is the difference between what you call shamanic Reiki and regular Reiki or shamanic healing and shamanic Reiki? Well, truly there's not that much difference. As I understand it and has, as I've been trained in it, uh, my, my training has been through Lynn Roberts, who is a, yeah. uh, trained for many years as a Reiki Very healer well and a um, Reiki master teacher as well to teach others to teach Reiki. And she began her um, experience with shamanic healing by traveling to different parts of the world, to the, um, to the Tuvan area in Mongolia to work with uh, healers, uh, medicine men and women, or shamans in those areas, in Central and South America as well. In Guatemala, working with the Mayan culture and the Mayan um, healing modalities. And she began to see that uh, Reiki could be incorporated into many of these indigenous um, systems of healing or these shamanic spiritual types of healings that they could be melded. And the way I look at it, it's, it's Reiki with panache is how I describe it, because if you're using, okay. say, a, um, a, an approach that the uh, Mayan elders that would use, uh, and I have studied with some of the elders in, uh, in, in Guatemala with the Mayans, um, especially around Lake Atitlan, it's the Quiche Mayan culture there, um, they bring in a lot of energy from Lake Atitlan, which is their most powerful energetic uh, vortex um, on the planet, oh, wow. and yeah. the Mayans believe 
that this water carries incredible healing energy. So when they are doing healings, they invoke, once again, the spirit, the energy of this very powerful lake. Um, as you had spoken earlier about that, that sentience of, of trees, of flowers, of water, um, they bring in this type of energy healing, which is very similar to Reiki healing, but they may douse the patient with water or they may bring a plant energy that has been soaked in the water of Lake Atitlan and brush the patients with this water um, to, to bring this healing energy into their bodies and also into their spirit, into their psyches, whatever might need healing. So it is really bringing in the, the beautiful color and the beautiful creativity of these many indigenous cultures to the, uh, to the form of hands-on Reiki healing. The universal life force energy is, whether it's Reiki or whether it's the Mayan elders and their healing approaches and their approach to chi, uh, their approach to vital life force it's all variations, all creative and colorful variations on the similar theme. When I look at, when I read and when I practice Reiki, um, it really is a type of shamanism. Um, it just happens to be from, uh, from Japan and happens to be through its, um, uh, you know, um, Dr. Usui, who first uh, essentially rediscovered it. It's just another variation on a really beautiful actually, theme. As you know, it's actually from Tibet and was rediscovered. Initially, yes, in rediscovered in Japan from Tibet, exactly. And in fact, the Tibetans at the time were the, the Bun people, and they were a shamanic culture that are right next door to what might be the oldest shamans on the planet, and that is the Siberian shaman. So exactly. So as you can really see, Reiki is truly shamanism. It's bringing in spirit, yes. something that is beyond just looking at the collection of ourselves in a physical body, that there is something beyond on a deeper level, uh, unseen, uh, that we can retune and, and begin to heal. It's uh, quite creative and um, Oftentimes difficult to describe in five or ten minutes, but it is a, it's a beautiful form of healing um, and can be so creative, as creative as the culture itself. So, Tanya, tell us a little bit about, thank you very much for that, about some of the results you've had with your animals. Uh, of course, you know, we are all thrown to look at the subject of cancer because that's so prominent in our culture and mm-hmm. it's such a moneymaker. But let's put that part aside. Let's just say that there are any number of reasons, physical as well as perhaps metaphorical, that cancer is so popular in our society. What kind of results have you seen in working with dogs and cats and horses and others? Maybe you can tell us uh, a few stories of healing um, or where you found that you were not able to get through and the animal, the animal passed. 
Well, I mean, we all have to admit our mortality, whether whether it's for ourselves or for our animals. So certainly, um, in in some cases, with aged animals or with very serious, say, advanced cancer, where chemotherapy, prednisone treatment, surgery has already been done, and the animal is so debilitated that uh, there is now no reversing the process. Then it moves into very gradually and really very organically into what I call holistic hospice. So cure, healing, you know, truly does it always mean that the entity, the creature, the human will live? Well, very often, um, you know, and eventually it will mean having a good death, which, of course, um, and be a healing instance in itself. But getting back to the living aspect, um, I, I uh, have to that say that one of the, the uh, I have to say that one of the uh, biggest things that I treat is uh, those bacterial infections that conventional medicine um, considers uh, uh, non-treatable because there is no antibiotic that will kill this bacteria, such as MRSA. Um, I treat uh, in the veterinary uh, equivalent of that, which has been around far longer in the veterinary community because of the abuse of antibiotics, especially in farm animals. Um, Those resistant bacteria are are far more prevalent in veterinary practice. And I, on a routine basis, um, can get these animals to heal uh, and rid themselves of their um, uh, incurable a bacterial infection by using homeopathy, good nutrition and diet, and maybe just a few supplements. Um, diet, of course, is key uh, for me, um, and the animals can respond beautifully uh, without having to go through the painful surgeries or um, mm-hmm. oftentimes uh, worthless injections of antibiotics on a daily basis, which, uh, again, from a kill the bacteria perspective, there is nothing that works anymore. However, using holistic medicine, and at least in my experience, homeopathy and diet and nutrition, these infections uh, can be cured. These animals can heal. That is one of the, uh, uh, the biggest things that I have seen um, that the conventional community deems ir- uh, um, non- non-healable. And also um, a cancer. I mean, I see an extraordinary number of cancer cases. And uh, in some cases, the tumors actually resolve and go away. It is a small number. I mean, cancer is very advanced disbalance and disease in the body. There's no doubt about it. But uh, to actually watch a tumor begin to um, slough off of the body, begin to shrink, begin to cave in, um, or if it's an internal organ tumor, to be able to verify the shrinkage of a kidney tumor or a bladder tumor or an abdominal mass to verify it with ultrasound or X-ray is uh, very compelling when the only treatment has been holistic and in most cases just homeopathic treatment. So interesting. So give us a story of a favorite dog or cat or animal that let's say you've worked with uh, in the last year or two that uh, well let, let's uh, I, I can tell you this recent story. case this was a moose uh, moose is not a moose moose is a 25 year old horse who um, for oh. the last <laughs> five, uh, at least seven years 
has been often on conventional suppressive drug therapy for asthma, which had already advanced into emphysema. Unfortunately, the owner, um, Regina, could know she couldn't ride him anymore. He was coughing all the time. He was heaving, just standing in his stall or walking. He owner would have to stop on a regular basis. Um, so, of course, this animal had had uh, his routine vaccines. Uh, truly, vaccines have their place, but he was over-vaccinated every year, multiple vaccines, far above what was necessary. So I encouraged her to stop vaccinating, and um, we began homeopathic treatment. Uh, at this point, the owner had not even um, begun to change the diet. Um, I had made recommendations on food changes, but she had not even begun that process. Um, so over a four-month period um, with treatments of two different homeopathics, this horse, uh, the owner is amazed that he has, he has become younger before her eyes. She can ride him now. His respiration rate has improved incredibly, nearly normal. Um, uh, and I do regular chiropractic with him as well because he's had some arthritic issues. Um, but he is getting younger before our eyes. She can ride him now along with her other younger horse. And it's just so satisfying to see a disease that probably had a great deal of pathology already over a number of uh, months, a few months, um, to see such a at least 75% improvement, if not more, in his condition. Um, was was so encouraging for the owner, and uh, she is now has me treat her other animals as well, her goats and and such. So, it is really amazing when she was willing to trust that the process so that so much yes, change that occurred so with her with Moose. So in this case, with the horse name Moose, uh, you <laughs> used after so much conventional treatment, which was kind of barraging and beating up on the immune system and the overall functionality and maybe helping a wee little bit originally, uh, when you remove that so that you could call a, a form of detox by removing a lot of those poisons, which most of them are, uh, exactly. with those removed, you brought in homeopathy and you changed the diet and you did chiropractic and in a matter of months, Old Moose was now young Moose and was rideable and flailing about like a good horse would. Absolutely. I mean, he is he's a happier horse. He coughs very minimally now. Um, I anticipate that at some point we will see improvement, and then at some point we will see a plateau. He may very well yeah. need another uh, long-acting treatment of a homeopathic um, but yeah. you know the time we will let him choose when he begins to plateau or slightly worsen. We will know that that is the time to evaluate his symptoms and again proceed with That's a homeopathic. The first homeopathic use is certainly a a a, a typical homeopathic for eliminating the side effects of suppressive drugs detox essentially as well as negative effects of vaccination so there's a process to the series of homeopathic remedies as well so interesting so interesting how about a particular case of uh you know i, I want to bring something else up because there is this 
standard allopathic medical uh, tendency, if not habit, to refer to people as their disease. Oh, yeah, we've got a cancer in room 5A, and then we've got a leukemia in room 4C. You know, what? no, 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 no. You have a person in 5A and yet another person in 4C. Thank you very much. And they are experiencing life these days through the lens of that you refer to as cancer or leukemia or what have you. But they are bio-individual even then with that particular pattern moving through and in their body. And I just like to make this distinction that there's bio-individuality and there's psycho-bio-individuality. And that is at base with a holistic practitioner. And from that place, you look at, you know, Moose or whomever and their particular version, if you will, of cancer. Um, And another thing I like to remind my clients of here, Tanya, is that Cancer is not really a noun, even though it seems like a noun in the English language. It's more like a verb in that. Mm -hmm. It is a process, and it's moving here, and it's moving there, and cancer is something that occurs in all people uh, routinely, and that is actually not a problem. The only problem is when it decides to kind of stick around in the immune system, the life force, as we keep saying, isn't strong enough to move it right along, you know, and it decides to kind of take up residence. So, absolutely, it is a process. It is, uh, and it does not happen overnight, although it may seem that, oh my God, this tumor came out of nowhere. It, uh, you know, there has, there is this balance that the body maintains to either allow the expression of cancer or disallow it. And once again, when the body is not strong enough to uh, maintain that balance, a tumor, wherever the animal or the person is the weakest, that is where that, that particular um, illness will, will manifest. And um, again, the triggers can so often be an emotional situation in the family, not to say that people cause these problems in the animal, but if the animal is being so sensitive to uh, a mistuned household, uh, the imbalance, uh, you know, has, will show up somewhere. It will show up somewhere. Exactly. Uh, it can even exactly. show up as behavioral problems in animals. In a very well-behaved dog, suddenly they're not behaving well. Um, they're acting out. Uh, that can often be from some emotional disturbance in the household. And, uh, you know, I have seen that, that happen. With, and I, We find that with children too, don't we? Exactly, isn't it? They are so yeah. sensitive and so honest, so much more honest like yeah. animals than exactly. adults are. It's uninterrupted, absolutely. So we're in our last few minutes. I would love if you would um, share with us another story or two of that have been particularly illuminating and enjoyable for you to work with? Uh, Well, let's see. What can I do in a few minutes? Um, Let me talk about this one kitty uh, named named Ivy. Uh, She belonged to a very well-to-do family in Akron, Ohio, when I was living in Ohio. And the owner called me. She was an older kitty, maybe 9 or 10. And the owner said, well, she she has kind of a 
she has a tumor on her back, kind of near her ribs, and, you know, it's been growing, and um, I thought, well, okay. She didn't really remark about the size or anything. I get to the to the appointment. It was fairly early on in my practice, and I think I turned every shade of gray and white. This tumor was almost half the size of the cat, huge, round, hard, bony tumor growing off of the kind of the the ribs on the side and the pelvis and oh it was my. it was huge and hard and i was overwhelmed but after i calmed myself internally we proceeded and we discussed other aspects of uh of ivy's health and other issues she had with digestion and and um her appetite and such and we began a series of homeopathics and um after the first homeopathic, we waited about a month or two, and a and a little sore formed on this huge, round, monster of a bony growth. You know, imagine a tumor half the size of a cat. She could hardly walk carrying this thing. A tiny sore ero- erupted on this on this uh, on the on the bony protuberance, and I thought, well, it's it could be good because discharging is a symptom that is positive in homeopathy, you want things to discharge outward. And very often with tumors, what will happen is the body, if they're small, will reabsorb them. Or if they're large, the body will try to slough them off, which is a nice way of saying rot the tumor off the body. And this is exactly what started with Ivy's tumor. It began to liquefy. And I would come over every week and I would trim the dead tissue away. Um, with the, we did repeat another homeopathic um, three months you would treat, into the you would, you would cut it away from uh, externally on the dermis? Yes, because the tumor was dying. The tissue was mm-hmm. dying. And within about four months, this tissue was about, this tumor was about half the size of what it had originally been. And this little kitty had been carrying this oh. thing around for years, getting vaccines, it was getting bigger, um, and to watch it rot off. I mean, the kitty was functioning. She was eating, she was drinking, she was doing all her regular things. Um, but the process, unfortunately, smelt like dead tissue. The kitty had to, she had to be restricted to one room because it would drip all over the furniture. So even though it was such a a difficult process for the owner to watch. I mean, they were literally watching her body push this tumor away and rot it off of her body. I mean, the 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 body was doing just what it had to do was to destroy the yeah. tumor with the assistance of the of the homeopathics. Uh, we made a few diet changes. She tried a homemade diet for a while. It was difficult for the owner. But most of the, oh, the work was done with the assistance of the homeopathic that this, this Ivy's body, her system, was responding um, to the homeopathic to bring about balance and healing, which was to remove this bony tumor from her body. It so was uh, quite, the, quite the process. It was uh, just amazing to so watch. at the end of it, the tumor was gone? Well, this is the sad part of the story, which I wish I could say it was positive, but uh, I was away at a conference, 
and uh, the owners uh, had called me and left a message, uh, and I was checking my messages every evening after the conference. She says, well, she has a little constipation, and, you know, should I take her to the conventional vet? And I said, well, no, I'm going to be home in just a few days. Um, you know, why don't we try this homeopathic? And she tried it, and, you know, she seemed to be a little constipated. It was now kind of no stool for three days, and I said, well, you know, is she still eating? Well, yeah, she's still eating. And I said, well, add a little olive oil, wait till I get home. And um, the day I was flying home, I didn't hear from her. And uh, when I got home, uh, she told me that she took the kitty, Ivy, to a conventional vet um, to maybe get some, uh, you know, an enema or some treatment because she was so preoccupied with the uh, constipation that the conventional vet looked at this tumor that from our perspective had shrunk to half its size. She told the owner that the kindest thing to do was to euthanize Ivy and the owner did broke my heart, broke my heart. Oh, that is just devastating. Just devastating. And the owner saw the changes taking place over those several months when Ivy was in your care. Absolutely. She lived with the owner. Um, I mean, the owner and her husband were thrilled. But, you know, this is the catch. When uh, the conventional tide, the mindset is so overwhelmingly powerful that even though we had worked for months with improvements, she only heard that the kindest thing to do is to put Ivy to sleep. No other diagnostics were done. They didn't do x-rays, nothing. This conventional vet gave her conventional opinion, and uh, the owner succumbed. She succumbed to that opinion, and um, it was so difficult. It was so difficult for both of us. We, we cried on the phone together for, I swear, 15 minutes after she told me. And, uh, you know, how could, I, how could I judge her for making that decision at that moment? Um, but I was, um, I was just devastated. It is probably one of the most difficult situations I'd ever been in. Um, and um, I... We have no way of knowing how would have things happened, how would have things proceeded. We just never had the opportunity to see how far this homeopathy could go. I have so many other success stories, but this one just illustrates the power of the conventional mind um, with just one word, one sentence. But I'm going to have to, after that sad story, please leave us on a a warm, fuzzy note (laughs) with, I will. I will tell you about Oscar, the uh, Oscar Meyer dog. He is a wiener dog, right, a dachshund, who is being treated Uh for uh, a very aggressive transitional cell carcinoma of the bladder. He is getting lots of diagnostics from the conventional world in terms of evaluating his tumor, and he is doing so well that his owners are amazed, and so are the conventional oncologists. They could give no other treatment. It was so aggressive, but this tumor is stabilizing. Um, Oscar is doing um, so well uh, with his new diet, his homeopathy. He has a few nutritional therapies on board, and um, he is doing so well uh, that I'm, I'm thrilled to say that the oncologists are telling this owner, keep doing what you're doing because this is working. 
So uh, it's, um, it's, uh, it, it can be truly right now? I'm sorry? That's taking He's a patient place of right mine now? right now, yeah, here in Washington. Oh, God, yes. That is wonderful. That, thank you for that, and Oscar is thanking you as well, of course. Well, that's really, really good news. So, you know, you do a lot of your work remotely uh, because you can. And so, you know, place is not an object, correct? Very often it isn't. I certainly prefer to be able to see an animal uh, in person. Um, and, you know, sure. uh, of course, here being in Washington, I do see all my uh, Washington patients. But yeah. a lot can be done remotely uh, if um, the practitioner, such as myself, knows how to ask the right questions and also yeah. if I um, have all the veterinary records, diagnostics, blood work, ultrasound results, x-ray results sent to me, uh, a lot can be done. And then we're on FaceTime uh, or Skype. Um, so, so much can be covered by, um, you know, video medicine. Uh, you know, many other large yeah. universities are doing this now, especially for rural communities. Sure. It can be very for effective sure. if you make sure you cover all the bases. So. Um, I, I find it very rewarding. Some areas do not have, some states do not have holistic veterinarians. So um, mm-hmm. I, I'm so, uh, I feel privileged to be able to offer this to people oh. who are open to it at a distance. So beautiful. So beautiful, Tanya. I have a, I probably have a couple of uh, nutritional supplements and products to let you know about that could probably Great. work really well with horses and dogs and cats and all of that. I didn't even think of it, but I should uh, run those by you. Maybe they can help you with some of your work. This is Excellent. I'm been... open to any ideas. Thank you. Oh, sure. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. I've been dealing with different kinds of nutrition for a long time, and a lot of it extends to the animal world. And from my point of view, we're part of the animal world, so it's not a separate thing, you know. It's absolutely Uh, true. Isn't it? God knows. Well, please give us your website and uh, any way of getting in touch with you for those of our listening audience that would be interested in your services. Absolutely. Um, um, Would you like my phone number as well? I can give that, my my work phone number. Absolutely. Yep. The number is 360. Best for people to get in touch. Yeah, please. Okay, yes, uh, 360-259-7576. That is an iPhone. Um, You can text, you can voicemail. And my website is, it's a little long, but I I, love it. That's okay. Yeah, it's called Natural Path Healing for Animals.com. Say it again. Natural, N-A-T-U-R-A-L, Path. P-A-T-H, healing, H-E-A-L-I-N-G, for, F-O-R, animals, A-N-I-M-A-L-F, dot com. Beautiful. And your phone number one more time as well. 360-259-75. Tanya Holanko, such a pleasure to have you on today and sharing your vast experience and warm, open thinking with our audience. So appreciate it. Oh, well, thank you very much. I've really enjoyed this, Mitchell. I mean, more than I thought I would, definitely. I'm so glad. 
God bless, and we'll talk another time. Yes, take care. You too now. Bye now. Tanya Malanko, uh, holistic veterinarian. What a pleasure with a decade of experience under her belt working with animals of all sizes and sorts. And uh, it's just so enriching to hear someone who loves what she does and is loved for what she does and has helped so many animals. I mean, someday it will be seen how primitive standard conventional methods are and it will be revealed again and again more and more profoundly that it's essentially economic medicine. And it's a little sad because there are many, many doctors and nurses who are truly dedicated to their craft and the art of medicine and deeply want to help people, but they are limited with their tools as The psychologist Abraham Maslow said, if the only tool you have is a hammer, you will tend to see the world as nails. And it's that kind of perceptual tunnel vision that keeps so many of these otherwise wonderful, big-hearted people from being able to really help in more profound ways, such as as Dr. Tonya Holanko is doing, because she opened up. She told us the story. Early on in her career, she started asking questions. She's very smart. She asked questions and wanted to dig deeper into what are the roots of the illness, not just how do I suppress symptoms, how do I get to the cause of what's going on. And then the cause was found not only to be in one single animal as such, but rather in a system oftentimes in the family and dealing with the issues and the heartaches and the problems and the themes and metaphors of a family. And all families have, as we grope through this difficult, challenging life, have issues and conflicts and tensions and stresses. So it only makes sense that the most sensitive of us all the pet in our lives, the edible, is literally embodying those stresses. It's actually, from a natural point of view, it's, uh, they are the, the healer of a family. And sometimes the healer gets sick and needs this kind of treatment. So uh, it's really with a great pleasure that I had Tanya on with me today. I want to just remind you all that I so appreciate the time and attention you give to us here at A Better World. We are a nonprofit, a 501c3, so to whatever extent you can make a contribution to us, it helps us sustain and stay on the air to bring you programs such as this and our weekly uh, television program as well, which is also non-commercial. So thank you all and make sure to sign up for our newsletter and become part of a better world a world's uh, community and family at triple w dot they tell me i don't have to say that anymore a better world dot net or a better world dot tv we're on youtube we're everywhere so please come join and uh be part of what we've got going here thanks again 
and I look forward to seeing you all.